Uh, today, we are going to kick off a, a brand new uh, sermon series called Faith Works. And what this is going to be on is, is the book of James, the letter that the, the James, the brother of Jesus, wrote to the early church that we find uh, kind of in the back half of the New Testament. Um, it is a great letter, and one of the things that is so beloved about it is that it's so practical. James really wrote with a mind in how we actually live out our faith. And so for these next five weeks, as we kind of move towards uh, the fall, uh, actually just like we did last year, we are going to read through the book of James. And, and uh, the nature of this sermon series is a little different. We do a lot of different kinds of series here at Redeemer to talk to a lot of different kinds of people's heart languages. But this is actually what's called an expository sermon series. And what that means is um, we're going to open up the book of James, actually where we left off last year. We worked through an entire chapter about this time last year, James chapter 1. We're going to we're going to open up James chapter 2 and read through verse chapters 3 and a little bit into 4. And we're going to do it verse by verse, uh, kind of idea by idea, passage by passage, and try to understand it. And one of the, one of the things that um, I think is so good about this kind of series is, is we believe God's actually spoken to us in the Bible. Like we, we actually believe that, that the creator of the universe spoke words that give life, uh, and tell us the story of love and redemption in the inspired words of, of the Bible. And, uh, and because we believe that, uh, one of the things that Hebrews 4, chapter 12, <laughs> dang, I'm struggling. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, is that the word of God is living and active. And, like, and we believe that God speaks to us right now through these words, through these inspired words that were written thousands of years ago, but are living and active and alive right here and now, and do stuff in our lives. And I am reminded and so thankful that uh, when we did this last year, God moved in some incredible ways, in ways that we're celebrating, and I have been praying uh, all week, and I, I ask that you guys pray with me that God would do it again, that as we open up the book of James, God would continue to speak into our lives and help us know uh, a new, renewed, greater life found in a relationship with Jesus. All right, um, one other thing. I want to invite you guys to come back tonight at five for dinner and discussion. This is something we're going to do for the next three weeks, and uh, really it is, there's two things we're trying to accomplish here. One, it's a chance to dig deeper in what we're going to talk about this morning. This, this fall, we're going to try to actually have study guides that go along with all the messages that growth groups are going to be able to do, and we're going to kind of test drive some of those in, in a small group discussions uh, over dinner. And so this is a potluck, a chance to eat somebody else's delicious food, Bring your own and then sit at a table and talk and, and kind of go a little deeper, dig deeper into what we're going to talk about here this morning. The other reason we did it is because Redeemer's grown a lot over the last uh, year. And there's a lot of people who are new and, and newer and, and maybe know a couple of people or some people, but don't know, uh, but, but still don't know a, a lot of people. Still kind of feel like you're finding your way. If that's you, this is for you. We'd love for you to come and, and meet some people, to get into a, a smaller setting and make some more friends. Like there are now three services. There's a, there's a lot of different people connected, and this is a chance to make a bigger community smaller. And so uh, I'd really encourage you guys to come. Even if you can only make one of these, it'd be worth it. You get to meet some people. Okay. All right. So we're going to uh, open up James chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This one today is titled, Don't Just Choose Your Favorites. And uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. 
before we do it, uh, why don't we go ahead and we'll pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for um, who you are. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the life that you give. We thank you that, that it, it is indeed your breath of life that is in our lungs that gives us our breathing and our living and this ability to have uh, a life of love and experience joy. And, and Lord, we thank you for that. And we come now before you this morning, opening up your word, knowing that you give us a richer, fuller, greater life in, in it, that you speak words of life and that, that you make things happen in it. And Lord, I just pray that as we open it and we start this journey through the, the thick of the book of James, that our hearts would be soft enough to hear what you're saying, that our minds would be tuned to understand, and that your Holy Spirit would be at work. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all your hearts be pleasing, of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Jesus. You alone are our rock and our redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, if you guys brought a Bible, turn there now. You can also grab the one in the chair in front of you or find it on your phone. There are so many ways to read a Bible now. Uh, just choose one, okay? Uh, but let's, let's follow along here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a seat for you, but say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. All right, so have any of you guys ever gotten to do something really luxurious, like really amazing, uh, had an experience, something akin to like the lifestyles of the rich and famous? Anybody ever watched that show growing up? Such an interesting show. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm wondering if you had that experience, like the kind of experiences that come to my mind are um, you got to travel on a private jet somewhere and you were treated like you owned the thing, right? Um, I'm thinking about like you got to go to an exclusive ski resort in the Swiss Alps, right? That would be awesome. Uh, or you went to a black tie event and a celebrity was there, right? Or you got to do just about anything on a yacht, right? Anybody ever been? <laughs> Anybody ever been on a yacht? I really want to go fishing on a yacht one day. But, um, but uh, this, this, early this last summer, Shannon and I got to do something that maybe wasn't that level, but uh, was really awesome and luxurious and something we've never done before. And that was, we got to go to an Astros game and have really incredible tickets. Like, we, uh, we were behind home plate 
you know, past where they got to check your tickets, uh, like, like right there, about 20 rows up. And it, it was an awesome experience. Like you could hear the ball hit the catcher's mitt. You could hear the thud. You could, um, you could, you could see uh, the facial expressions of Jose Altuve. You could listen if George Springer talked trash, right? Like we were right there. And, and, you could, and one of the things that also I loved about these seats is you know how in those first, that first couple of rows behind home plate, like all those Houston really famous people sometimes sit, like the Bush family was there, or Tillman Fertitta or something like that. Uh, I could see them. I could lip read what they were saying, almost hear them. It was awesome, right? And so um, it was a real treat for us. We'd never, I'd never been in seats like that. And uh, we were sitting there in the third inning, really enjoying the game. When on the loudspeaker, uh, they, they came on and they said this, Houston Astros fans, we would really like to welcome a special guest tonight, Houston Rocket, future Hall of Famer, Chris Paul. And, uh, and sure enough, there on the big screen, the Jumbotron, was Chris Paul with his son uh, waving to us in those seats in front of us. It's like, awesome, Chris Paul is here. And I was like, wait, awesome, Chris Paul is here. And, like, and, and I realized that he was sitting in the stands in, uh, right ahead of me. And, uh, and that was big news to David Garan because, one, he loves Chris Paul. Uh, <laughs> But, but two, like, I was actually like, wait a second, Chris Paul is here, because when we, when we got there and I sat down in those seats, I looked to see if there was any famous people that I knew sitting in those, in those front seats. Chris Paul was not there. I would have known if Chris Paul was there, and I had my radar up, and it seemed to me that if any of them were going to come and sit in those seats, they would have had to walk by me, right? And if Chris Paul would have walked by me, I would have mugged him for an autograph and a selfie, right? Like, I, I like, how did he get there, you know? I was like, what, how did he get here? And I didn't see him, you know? And, uh, and so I did a little Googling sitting in my chair, and this is what I discovered. Evidently, there are, uh, there's a whole nother level of, of, of tickets at Astros games called Diamond Club tickets. Does anybody, do some people know about this? Yeah, I did not know about this. And, uh, and evidently, when you do this, it is the top of the line elite experience. Like there are Astro staff attending to your every need. You like come in another place and you get to go to this room that is air conditioned and beautiful and looks like this where they serve you like uh, a full course first class meal, right? And you sit there and watch the game air conditioned on a huge screen. And then when you're ready, right? When you're done enjoying yourself in that room, Evidently, there is a separate entrance that, is, that you can go to to sit down in those, in those padded, beautiful seats that I'm never going to sit in, right? And, uh, and like, when I found that out, actually, my first response is like, dang, that is annoying, right? Because uh, here I was thinking that I was having this, like, super awesome, once-in-a-lifetime experience that was the best as it could get. Shannon and I were like that. And then, uh, and then Chris Paul shows me, uh, shows up, and re- I realized there was something even better that I didn't even know existed, right? And, uh, and that's just kind of a jarring thing. Uh, on another level, I'll say I get it, right? Um, here's the other thing that, while I'm annoyed, I also understand that the Astros 
um, are a business. They may be part of the pride of Houston, but uh, you've got to pay Justin Verlander, right? You've got to, to make some money to make the Astros work. And, uh, and so it, while I might be annoyed that it's going to probably always be out of the reach of my experience, uh, that uh, they, like, it's okay that a business makes more money off higher capacity customers. Like, I get that. It makes sense. It's a smart move, right? I think that it is okay that the Astros treat the rich and famous a little bit better than they're treating the average Joe like me, right? Um, but here's what's not okay. You know where it's not okay to treat the rich and famous a little better than the average Joe or really anybody like you and me? Church, right? There is something fundamentally different about a church than there is about the Astros or any other organization or business. There's a different reason for why we exist and who we are and what we do. And really, as we're opening up James chapter 2, there and, and, and James is, is moving to a new thought. He's had some things he shared with us. Now he is he's talking about something new. The very first thing he, he's doing is helping us understand who we are and why we exist. And he's actually uh, addressing this idea of how the church ought to treat people. And so he opens up actually with the main idea and the whole passage right there in verse 1, which, which says this, um, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Brothers and sisters, you must not show favoritism. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you're part of this church community, a brother and sister in Christ, you don't show favoritism. That's not what we do. That's not who we are. And, um, and, uh, you, you, uh, you might be wondering, why is he giving this command? Why is James talking about this? Well, uh, one of the reasons James comes out so direct here is, is probably because this isn't a hypothetical situation, right? Uh, what, what we have to keep in mind, especially when we're reading the letters in the New Testament, is these early church leaders wrote these letters partly because they were addressing specific things that were happening in the early church at that time. And so James has either heard about this uh, from somebody else or he's seen it with his own eyes. But what is happening is that the early church is showing favoritism. And actually, particularly the early church, uh, which got so many things right, which was so wonderful, whom God worked so powerfully among, was actually showing a really really bad kind of favoritism where they were they were uh, treating the rich folks that came among them better than the poor. And that's why uh, James then, after he says we must not show favoritism, goes on to give an example which he presents as a hypothetical, but is clear later on is not a hypothetical situation. He is describing something that, that very clearly was happening in the church at this time when he says this. Let me read verses two through four. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes, right, if, if you give him better treatment and say, here's a good seat for you, right, but then you say to the poor man in the old filthy clothes, why don't you stand over here or can you sit on the floor by my feet? James says, have you, if you've done this, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Have you not 
discriminated? Have you not become a judge? Are you not led by evil thoughts? And uh, I want you to notice how strong the words are that James uses to, to, to address this, this, these people in the early church. He, he, he says the word evil, right? That's a strong word. This is not James uh, saying, man, you guys are making a little small mistake. I'd really prefer it if you uh, did this a little differently. That's not how he's coming in here. He's, he's not sheepishly approaching this early church and saying, um, yeah, guys, um, could we please not make the poor guy sit on the floor, right? No, like James is coming in hot, right? He is, he is rearing here, and he's straight up saying, this favoritism that you're practicing is, is terrible. In fact, he uses the strong word, the thoughts that are leading you to do this are evil. Evil. That is a really strong word. And, uh, you know, I'm, I want to be honest, when I first read this, I felt like evil was a, a little bit of a strong word for James to be using in, in, in this interaction. Um, but let me be clear, I think it's really, really bad what was happening here, like really bad to treat poor people worse than rich people in the church, okay? But when, when I think about evil, that is not the category of things that immediately come to my mind when I'm thinking about what evil is, and it, 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 it's not. It, it's, it's bad, but it's not evil bad. I tend to think of evil more as like intentional harm or things done in, in, with malicious desires, right? Um, thoughts, actions that manipulate, that, that lessen or belittle people. Um, when, when I think about evil, I'm thinking about like the, a suicide bombing right? That is an evil act, right? Everything around it. There are so many things that are evil around that, that, that action. Um, making an army of child soldiers through drug addiction, right? That is an evil thing that happens. There's evil all over that thing. But, but favoritism, you know, like the, the mistake of, of what this early church was doing, like uh, evil's a strong word. Why is James so strong? That's the question that, that I wondered. And, and here's what I think I, I came to realize as I kind of dug into this. It's um, what, what James calls evil is specifically the thought behind favoritism, right? And, and, and when you really dig down and uncover what is the thought happening un underneath favoritism, uh, that idea really can lead and has led to people experiencing tremendous hurt and harm uh, individually and socially. And, and, and that actually becomes a little bit clearer when, when we realize there's another word that James uses besides favoritism to describe the treating of, of the poor people worse than the treating of the rich people. And did anybody catch it in the text? What's the other word that he uses? Discrimination discrimination. That is the word that James uses. He says, when you treat the rich better than the poor, in verse said, 4 he says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts, right? And so James is saying there's discrimination and there's a thought underneath discrimination, and that's what's evil. And, and, and just to, to, to dig in there a little bit, 
what I think is a lot of times it's never verbally expressed what that thought is. We may not even realize it's there. It's like there in our subconscious. Um, but but uh, ultimately, when we are discriminating, we are valuing. Discrimination requires a value judgment. When we discriminate, we value. We choose to treat some someone or something better than something else. Um, <clears throat> And in this case, they were choosing to treat the rich better than the, the poor, meaning they were valuing the rich more than the poor. And, and, and that is a discrimination in its worst forms is a choice, whether it's conscious or not, to value one group of people more than another group of people. And when we value one group of people more than another group of people, Man, what, what we know, if we just open our eyes and look around, that has been a big problem for us as individuals and for us as societies. It has led to all kinds of, of harm and hurt and destruction. And, and, uh, and just to, to give examples of that, think, think about that. Historically, can you think of some examples where we valued one group of people more or one group of people less? Can you think about that? There are three examples that immediately came to my mind. One of them, uh, the, the, the thoughts that, that led people to value one more than another. You know who did that historically that we all know the story of? Nazi Germany, right? right? Was that not a time where there was this belief that there was one uh, group of people among the whole world that was in some way better or superior, that were to be valued in a greater way. And that thought was the one that led, that was part of World War II, that led to the uh, killing of so many people and the attempted uh, removal of an entire group of people through the Holocaust, right? So the Jewish, our Jewish friends, right? Uh, let me tell you, when you study World War II and you see what happened, I would describe that as evil, right? That thought was evil. Um, you know, the, the next example that came to my mind is actually uh, not so much at home here in the West, but something in the East that happened through the caste system, right? Um, you guys may or may not know this uh, or know it in detail, but there is a whole social stratification that happened in places like India uh, related to uh, uh, this understanding of karma and people's past sins and what they deserved that led to uh, some people in society being seen as higher, uh, more important, and frankly, uh, some, some folks in, in the world, in, in that part of the world, which were seen as, as not, not even worth looking at, right? There was a whole class of people um, in parts of India called the untouchables, right? Who, who were born into it and were oppressed under it and had no way to get out of it. And let me tell you, from what I know about their lives, man, I would describe that value judgment as evil, right? Here's the last one, the first one that came to mind, the one that we just cannot ignore in our own country. What, what about racism, slavery in America, where we valued one group of people less than another group of people, where an entire uh, uh, group of people were subjugated and, and we systematized a way for them to be seen as less important and less valuable in our country. It is one of the worst things that has ever happened in our nation, and, and it has led to generations of hurt and pain that we continue to experience today. And I'll tell you, man, what I think racism was not only a sin, I think it was evil. 
right? And, um, and I, I just want to say that's why I think James comes in hot, right? This is why he is so strong, because this thought uh, is, does so much damage. And when we value people anything less than how God values them, it results in hurt and harm and brokenness in people and societies in our world. Uh, we see people less than we know they truly are because God has told us who we truly are. We are children of God, created in his image, All, every single one of us having inherent sacred worth. Uh, every single one of us immeasurably mattering to God, every single one of us mattering so much that God sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins, right? And, and, and part of the thing that the church has to do is to hold on to that belief and not let go of it because it's part of our theology. It's an essential part of our theology. And, and we have to continue to, to have this prophetic voice in society that, that says everybody matters and, and everybody matters to God. And everybody really is equally value in the eyes of God. And, um, and, uh, and that's why, like, when you think about some of the most influential voices who have, who have done good in, in the world, like um, Martin Luther King Jr., when he gave his I Have a Dream speech, he not only shared a vision for uh, a better America, he did that making appeals to Scripture. The preacher quoted the book of Amos when he said, we are not satisfied, we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. He's, he was speaking from his Christian perspective, saying that, that, that God's vision for all people and for our nation is so much better than this, and he was right. Like, the church has got to hold on to, to this understanding of everybody's inherent dignity and worth, and, and, and we cannot let go of it. And that's why James, I think, is so strong in the way he comes and talks to us about this, right? Because favoritism and the thoughts behind it really can lead to evil. You guys got that? All right, I want to read the next bit of, of Scripture. Here it is. Uh, five through seven. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Right? And so what James is doing here in these next few verses, he's told us what he wants us to do. Stop having any kind of favoritism uh, in your gatherings, how you relate to one another when you come to worship, right? But now what he's doing is he's asking these Christians to like consider what's happening on a higher level. And those last few verses, he's like, it's kind of like he's saying like, really? Like, are you really? Is this really what you're doing? Because uh, when you think about who's giving you problems in the world right now, Christians, is it the poor or is it the rich? And if you dig into a little bit of history, man, uh, the, the early Christians uh, got all kinds of persecution from those who experienced po power. They were being dragged into court. They were being falsely accused of things and put into prison. And so, so James is like, what are you doing? And then in the first half, really what James is, is also trying to get them to do is say like, who has God worked among most, most powerfully? Who are the people who have been responsive to the gospel, who have received it? Look around, step back, 
look in the church around you. He's, he's literally, I can imagine him reading this letter to the church, just like now, and, him, and, and his, the people looking around and saying, who are the people that are next to you in the church? Are they rich people? Are they diamond club seat, seat havers, right? Are these, are they, uh, do they own private jets? And there, there were some people with means, but, but the overwhelming majority of folks in the early church were poor, right? They, they, they were from humble places. And, uh, and, and, and James is, is really saying, like, think about this, right? Um, you guys are poor. The gospel moves so powerfully among the poor. Embrace that. You know, uh, Paul actually says a similar thing in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 27, where he says this, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. He's speaking specifically to them. This isn't rhetorical. This isn't abstract. He's saying not many of you were wise by the way the society judged wisdom. Not many of you were influential. You didn't have status. You didn't have power. Not many of you were of noble birth. But look, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, right? He, he's really hoping, trying to get them to, to see who they are and where the, the gospel is moving most powerfully. And you know, um, that was written in the first century. But what, what I think is really interesting, do you guys know that um, even now in the 21st century that the majority of are not wealthy? They're actually probably poor. Uh, and and uh, part of the reason, that may not be our experience here in America as Christians, because we live in a wealthy, developed nation, but do you know where the bulk of Christians live today? It is not in America. Uh, amen, um, in some ways to that. There, there is, is so many Christians, and there has been a lot of uh, movement in Christianity uh, south of the equator, um, from South America to Africa to Asia, the biggest, m- most powerful parts of the Christian church today are on those three continents. There, there are hundreds of thousands, millions of believers who, uh, who God has worked so strong among, and most of them don't have status. So many of them are poor. And, uh, and, and I think what that speaks to, uh, because it was true then and it's true now, is, is something... That, that we really just can't forget that's such at the heart of the way God works. And, and it's this, believing the gospel isn't about having resources. Believing the gospel isn't about getting a more enlightened Western education. Uh, believing the gospel isn't like uh, having anything to do with how developed it is. It's got 100% to do with, with recognizing our spiritual need for Christ and the fact that we are dead in our sins and we cannot save ourselves and we deeply need a savior. That, that, that's what it takes to believe the gospel. And folks who, who are in more humbler circumstances more readily are willing to call out to God in their need, right? It's those of us who have resources, who think we've figured it out, who think we have understanding that, that are less willing to, to, to embrace uh, the need for a Savior, that are less, less willing to say, Jesus, I really need you, and give our lives to him, because we have so much to lose, we, we think, right? But, but what, what I think James is saying is you've got to embrace your weakness. God has chosen the weak over the strong. Embrace your humble place. Trust, trust in God to work in you through that humble place, all right?
All right, there are actually a couple of more verses. Um, I do not have time to get into them, but we've hit the main idea. And one of the important things that we, that we do uh, when we open up the Bible and understand it is say, okay, now how does this apply to our lives? What do you and I do with the book of James, what we've learned this morning? And, um, and I don't know about you, but uh, when I kind of read this passage, I think one of the temptations for me was to be like, you know, okay, great, James. I don't think that this is something that I struggle with so much. I'm just going to go ahead and move on, right? Um, you know, uh, <laughs> treating poor people badly, like most of us probably don't feel like that's our issue, right? Like we don't at least know that we're doing that. We don't think we're doing that. And certainly we're not doing that at church, right? We really try to treat everyone well when they walk through these doors. We've got a welcome team. We try to be kind to everybody, right? At least we give them a southern kindness, right? And, uh, and maybe our church isn't perfect, but at least we're trying, right? And, and, uh, and we're certainly not asking poor people to sit on the floor, you know? Um, and, and, and to that, I have a couple thoughts, right, before we go dismissing it. Here, here's the first. Um, Y'all, y'all, we're not asking poor people to sit on the floor. <laughs> like, that's not happening here. It has not happened here. It will not happen here. I am thankful for the fact that we as a church have done a pretty good job welcoming people uh, of, of, of every background and every social status and in every way, right? Um, but I, I do want to be careful for us to think that this is, a, uh, is it something that we're past or that, that in any way this is something that we won't or are not struggling with because I, I know personally, and I'm not going to get into details, but situations in, in, in churches that I think are awesome, Christ-centered, uh, God-fearing people where there has been, uh, unfortunately, times where one people has been valued less than another group of people. And it, it's, it's been real, really tough. Um, I, I know some of the people in those churches are God-fearing, loving, wonderful folks. And they just didn't see it. There was something that they, they were missing. And what that tells me is, right, actually that, that this discrimination, uh, the sin that is underneath these kind of things is part of our human nature. This is part of who we are, right? This is part of our brokenness that we do this. And, and it's, even if we think we're beyond it, it can still be there in the recesses of our heart in so many different kinds of ways. And so we, we, we ought not to ever think we're past it or above it, but humbly ask the question, Lord, help me. Lord, by the grace of God, I, I don't do this. Help me not to do it, right? That's the right posture that we have in our hearts. Secondly, Here's the other thing that I want you guys to see. This was a different situation in the first century in church than we have in the 21st century now in church. But I don't want you to miss the fact that, that James is talking to the church about how it ought to, to behave and treat people on Sunday morning because I think that there's a really important takeaway for us here at Redeemer. And let me kind of approach it like this. When you guys come, if you've been here for a little while at Redeemer, uh, when you guys come to church, who are the people that you really want to see? Who are those folks that you that you hope to see, right? Uh, if you could talk to one person in a group of people, and you you chose that person, who, who is that? It's your friend, right? You really want to see your friends. You want to 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 meet those people. You want to talk to those people. 
I am really thankful that you have friends. I'm really thankful that this is a, a place where people have developed good friendships. We've done stuff with people. We've built relationships with people. We're in growth groups with people, right? Um, we trust these people to be honest and, 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 and be on this journey of faith with us, right? That's good, right? I want that for every single one of you. It's been part of our vision for Redeemer from the beginning, right? And, 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 and I celebrate it. It's awesome. But as you are probably guessing, there's a tension here. And this is what I want you to recognize. What is, what's, what's the name for that person in the lineup that you choose uh, above the other people? What is, what is the name for some, someone that you prefer over other ones, right? Uh, Shannon calls me her favorite, right? And, um, and it's not wrong to have favorites, right? Especially when uh, they're your spouse, right? <laughs> That's a good thing, okay? Uh, but, but do you remember what was the word that James used in this passage when he was talking about how we should treat people on Sunday morning? Favoritism, right? It's not favorites. He's not saying that we ought not to have favorites. What he's saying is we ought not to show favoritism, and we should be very scared of the thoughts that are behind favoritism, right? And, uh, and, and, and what I think that we've got to realize is that if we have favorites and we practice favoritism towards those people, what we are going to do is fall short of what God calls our church to be, right? Because what happens if, Every Sunday, you talk to only or mostly the people that you already know that are your friends, right? What if everybody does that? Who gets left out of that equation? Anybody who's new and has, and who's new or newer and hasn't made a friend yet, right? And so how do you break that? Somebody steps outside of talking just to the people that they know or most, and, and, and meets one of those people. And, and what you guys may not realize it is that, do you know that like all but four Sundays since we opened Redeemer two and a half years ago, we have had a new person step into these doors on a Sunday morning. Every single Sunday, there are new people that show up. Every single Sunday, there is somebody we need to meet and embrace with the, the warmth and love of Jesus Christ. And if, if, we, uh, if we just talk to our friends, you know what's going to happen? You know what happens? Because unfortunately... I, I've seen this. It's not often, but it's happened that there is somebody that comes in and they're new and I know they're new and I don't get a chance to see them and, and th they're there on the playground sitting by themselves or they're in, they're hanging around and then they walk out and they leave and we never, nobody ever uh, greets these, these people personally, never gets to know them, never connects with them, never welcomes them. And I just want to tell you, like, that absolutely breaks my heart. You, you guys, when people come to church, there's there's usually a reason, right? Like, they're new to the community and they're looking for friends. Like, there's some big thing that happened to, in their lives and they're looking for an answer, right? They're, they're, they're just searching and they end up coming here for the first time in decades wondering if there is something that's happening here. And the first line of, of, of greeting that they experience, the people that are here speak louder than, than, than I do, uh, or, or even the message, like when, then the music, it, it's the relationships that folks have that keep them out of church. And so what we've got to do as a community is open our hearts and minds to, 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 to really see those people and have a heart for them and, and really believe that 
our presence here and our commitment to those people matters. That actually it matters when you come on Sunday morning because you're a part of building that community. And, and, and it makes a difference in the life of somebody. It really does. And, uh, and so I want to just challenge you today um, uh, to think about this firstly abstractly but in this way. I want you to live beyond your favorites, right? I want you to show up on Sundays and say, I've got my favorites, my friends I want to see, but I want you to live beyond that. I want you to see them, but I want you to, to, to make and have it, to meet someone new, to have an eye for someone new. And so I'm going to give you some handles for this. And I'm going to challenge our church to do this as long as, as, long as I can. And, and it's this. I want, I want you guys to meet, meet one. Every, every, every Sunday, I want you to, to, to make it your goal to meet one person you haven't met yet, right? And, and, and if you, you come and, and you say, I haven't, they don't have to be new. You don't have to know whether or not they're new. This is a larger community. It's becoming a very much larger community. You don't know who's in what service. You don't know who's been here a while. That's fine. You just don't have to know them, right? And, and, and what you do is you come up and you say, hey, I don't think I've met you yet. I don't know you. However you want to do that, however you figure it out, I, I'd, I'd love for our church to, to make that a part of our culture, who we are, because I think it would change. It, it would make so many things so wonderful here, and it's been, we've done a good job of this. I want to keep it, especially as we grow, because it's so important for us to do this. It's, it's a command of God. It's part of what we see James asking us to do in the Bible, and, and so I'm challenging you guys to, to meet one. Every Sunday, one person. Take that time, meet someone, and, and if we do it, uh, you're not only going to meet some great people who are at this community who you don't know, you're also actually going to uh, be a part of us making sure that everybody who shows up through those, these doors is, experiences the welcome that we want them to receive in the name of Jesus. I pray you guys would, would be a part of that with me. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I, I thank you for your words. I thank you for the way that you spoke through your servant James. I thank you for the way that we get to wrestle and work with your scripture. I thank you for the way that you have warmly embraced us, and I pray that we could love others as we want to be loved in this way, Jesus. I, I ask you that as new people continue to move through these doors, that we would see them, that we would make it a point to meet them. Uh, whether or not that's difficult for us, Lord, I pray that we would think beyond uh, ourselves. We would live beyond our favorites and, and, and really continue to build a community where you're held high and lives are changed and your love and grace is known. And Lord, we follow you. Uh, in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.